From 87 Lafayette, it's Coronapod. I'm Matt. And I'm Adam. So I'm hopeful, Adam, we could find a better uh, <laughs> a better way to record this podcast because for our three or four listeners, the sound quality is going to be absolute shit. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, that's, you know, no, no big deal. But we should tell them why. Well, you have abandoned New York City. You have fled the heart of the virus and have gone to look after your grandma and your parents out in Massachusetts. Yes, although I will say they are actually looking after me more than I'm looking after them at this point because they brought us dinner tonight. It was very nice. My mom made a vegetable curry and brought it down to us and left it outside the door, which was very nice. And we can't really make anything for them because we might get them sick. We might be carrying coronavirus. Uh, But we did, though, bring them one thing that they could not get here, which was... New York bagels. We went to La Bagel Delight before we left, and we got two dozen bagels, and we're going to hope that will tide us over for a while. And uh, But we gave three of them away to, uh, to my parents and my grandma, and I have to say, my grandma goes, oh, I haven't had a bagel in so long. This is so good. And so, so I was happy so about that. Two, two questions there. Do you think it's L.A. Bagel Delight or La Bagel Delight? And then the second question is, was this a coronavirus, we are going to do the bagel place that is close to us to minimize journeys? Or was this like, these are the best bagels in New York? Because I think a lot of people would say that the best bagels in New York are maybe Absolute, H&H, Absolutely. Chelsea's. I 100% agree. I, so I'll start with your first question. I'm pretty sure it's La Bagel Delight, not L.A. Bagel Delight. Why would it be L.A. Bagel Delight? We're in New York. Yeah, but you've got the Sports Club L.A. or the Sports Club Law, and that's all. <laughs> we, did, we did have that conversation the other day, uh, and I was not sure whether it was L.A. Fitness or La Fitness. Uh, I'm still not sure about that. Um, it should definitely be La Fitness. That, that feels better. Um, But second question, the reason we went there was because it was close and we were in a hurry. So our ferry was at eight o'clock. We were running about an hour late to leave the city. We were worried about traffic. Uh, And so we had a plan to go to Shelsky's on our way out. And we actually had a plan to momentarily break our vegetarianism and have a great Gatsby at Shelsky's, which is an everything bagel with pastrami lox, horseradish cream cheese, and honey mustard, onions, peppers, and capers. Unbelievably flavorful. There are a lot of flavors in that. Um, But we ran out of time. We would have gotten bagels at Chelsky's, though, because those are much, much better. But, and then I'll shut up. I will say, the great thing about New York, you can stumble into almost any bagel shop, and the bagels are pretty darn good, and La Bagel Delight. The service is terrible. It's just your random Fort Green neighborhood bagel place, but their their bagels are pretty good. Well, one last one last thing before we get to our guest. It's a chain. It's family owned and operated, and it started in Park Slope. There are multiple La Bagel Delights. I did know that. I did know there's one in Park Slope. I've heard the service there is also terrible. But 
Well, without further ado, should we get to our guest Kevin from the heart of the chill? Should we? Uh, should we Let's play do that it. Let's, music yes, absolutely. The, I think uh, I think Kevin is in need of some walk-on music. And see if they can hear it all the way from Ohio. Maybe you know uh, that we song "Ohio" by um, uh, Oh Man. I think it's too late. I think we already chose the walk-on music. All right, Kevin, welcome to the show. Welcome to CoronaPod. How's it going? Good to see you both, gentlemen. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Happy to have you. Yeah, I'm just talking to you from um, my folks' back porch uh, in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, It is very chill out here. Um, things Things are going well. We have a lot of good updates for you from... The heartland. Any any mayflies? I feel like that's the back porch worry. How are you doing on the mayfly front? Mayfly situation has been a little a little out of hand this year, I will say. Uh, a lot of people are getting into composting now with all of the extra time, and a lot of them don't really know exactly what they should be putting in their compost. So you got a lot of people who are putting some things in there that you know really attract the rodents and attract the flies. But you know they're getting used to it. And we're, it's going to be a learning curve for a lot of folks here getting used to post-apocalyptic uh, Midwest chic. But all in all, um, Ohio is still chill, but still down for a fight as always. Well, I think that's um, that's better than New York where we not only canceled our composting program, the, the mayor said we don't have the money for it, but, um, you know, People are just freaking out about the murder hornet. So, you know, I was about to ask. I was going to say, mayflies, how about murder hornets? That sounds a lot worse. What's, yeah, what's up with these murder hornets? What do we know? Uh, Well, we were going to ask you. Oh, (laughs) um, I have not gotten a chance to confer with the murder hornets, so I don't know if they're friend or foe. Uh, They're definitely, they're definitely foe. It's an invasive species from Asia that's been spotted on the West Coast, so. You know, there's this, there's this joke, there's this joke that there's like a writer's room and, you know, people are just writing 2020 and they're like, you know, eh, I don't think it's crazy enough. I think we need to make it worse. Let's throw in the murder hornets. (laughs) Oh man. Until the murder hornets come through. (laughs) Enough with our inane bullshit. Um, what we, what we really want to talk about with you is, you know, Early on in uh, the coronavirus situation, there were some decisions involving a New York City penitentiary and how last year there was a blackout and people were denied access to counsel and the, the counsel essentially, like people's lawyers, public defenders, sued and said, this is not allowed, this is unconstitutional. You can't say that just because you had some issues with your facility, you're denying our clients access to counsel. And the decision for that came out fairly early on in the coronavirus outbreak. And the, the decision explicitly said, like, not only is this an issue for, you know, if you lose power, it also, as you think about coronavirus, you cannot use coronavirus as an excuse to not give us access to our clients. But 
Yeah. Talk to me, what are you working on in Ohio with regards to the coronavirus outbreak and our way too many, way too full prisons? Yeah, so it's all kind of the continuation of years of work that's been happening on the ground here in Ohio, led by people who uh, have been through the prison systems or have loved ones in the prison systems or don't think that prisons are an effective way to deal with society's problems. Um, Ohio has a really robust, um, like, recent history of social movements around this and um, coordinated efforts to try to roll back the kind of modern slavery state that we have within the U.S. prison system. Um, last In 2018, we got together for a ballot initiative that would have decriminalized um, low-level drug possession offenses and retroactively change those folks' uh, sentences so they could uh, apply for release. Um, even though that polled at incredibly high numbers, the um, criminal justice infrastructure in Ohio mobilized against it because it would have taken away a lot of power from some of the traditional power holders within the system, um, especially from a lot of trial judges. So we're dealing with a situation where the even though we are pretty well, decently well organized, the um, the people who currently run and benefit from the prison system are far better organized than we are. So this is all just kind of context for the situation that we're we're in right now. Ohio has a lot of um, a lot of people are getting pretty rich off of prison labor, and people think that that's mostly private prisons, but here in Ohio. We're mostly talking about state-run facilities where prisoners are doing work for a couple of pennies an hour. Um, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not by much. Um, and that money, those products that they're making are going to some of the big uh, big brands that come out of Ohio. Like you've, If you've sat in a chair in Ohio in a public uh, building, you probably sat in the chair made by prisoners for slave wages. Um, so the the state in Ohio has always had kind of an incentive to lock up more people, and they they've done so. It's only for for many years um, through aggressive um, aggressive policing tactics and pretty aggressive sentencing around drug related crimes. So all of that brings us to a situation where we have 50,000 people in Ohio's prisons, and that's not even counting people in, like, county jails and places like that. So we've got a lot of people who are and – then that, and then a whole other class of people who are um, kind of in the probation uh, – swirling around the whirlpool of probation that is always kind of trying to brag, drag you back into – the prison system. Um, they have been, we have seen a drastic decrease in services within prisons. I mean, the, anybody who, um, even people within the department of corrections say like this, this institution is no longer focused on rehabilitating people. Um, doesn't seem like anybody knows what it's focused on. So, what that has had, what, and that has been exacerbated by the fact that we have a governor who was elected in 2018, who ran on a anti-criminal justice platform. 
and ran basically in opposition to that ballot initiative that we talked about before. So the, the guy who is currently being, who some initially praised in the beginning for his response to COVID-19 um, is now starting to see the results of years of supporting aggressive prison, uh, aggressive prison tactics. And um, now what that means is that we have a horrific health crisis in Ohio's prisons. Right, I think the prison in Marion is like the highest density of cases in the country or something. Yep, exactly. And there we one of the facilities just tights tops ninety percent of the prisoners there um, tested positive for COVID nineteen. And what's happening is the guards are also terrified because they're catching it and going back into their communities. So this health crisis that we have allowed to happen in our prisons is going to impact all of us one way or another because these guards come home at the end of the day they go to church they go to the grocery store or they don't and their loved ones go like we've created for ourselves a deadly vector um so We've been working to try, really, there's only, and, and it's impossible to social distance in prison, right? I mean, like, especially Ohio's, we're 128% of capacity right now in our prisons, which means that people are more than two to a cell. Um, you know, these are, like, and, and solitary isn't that much safer because you're still getting stuff delivered by somebody who is contact, in contact with other people. So really the only way that we could possibly slow this down is by moving a lot of people out of there and into community rehabilitation so that we can get closer to um, that ratio of like one, one to at most two people in a cell. Um, And, you know, this is something that we're hearing calls for from, you know, all kinds of people who are touched by the system. Um, guards, you know, wardens don't have the control over this kind of thing. And so, you know, even some of the wardens are like, this is a a disaster waiting to happen. Um, And it already is happening. I've been talking with the loved ones of people who have lost family due to COVID-19 in the prisons. And they were, one one of my friends, Terrence, found out um, weeks after his son had died weeks after he had died um and so communication is fucked up we're surprisingly able to get a lot of testimonies from the inside we're working on developing a a kind of database of those stories so that we can get them out there to all of the media outlets so that people know what's happening on the inside we're doing we're trying to do actions every week. We're starting to escalate in terms of like the level of risk that we're taking, um, for those actions. Um, we, after our, we did a car rally that led to a small, small bump in the number of people who were getting reprieves. Oh, and so a little bit of, you want a little background on kind of the legal, how you get people out part of this? Yeah, that'd be Yeah, that'd be helpful. And also just, you know, when you get to it, I'm curious what action looks like when you're trying to socially distance. But yeah, yeah. what can you actually achieve? 
Right. So our main goal target right now, um, we're kind of coming together around um, five major demands. One is we got to grant um, categorical sentence reprieves for prisoners who have a certain set, like it have at least half of the prisoners, I believe, uh, in Ohio's prisons are in for nonviolent drug-related offenses or probation violations, things like that. Um, things where they did not hurt anyone directly. Um, and so there's a strong case. I think we have a strong case for granting that reprieve for that category of prisoners so that we can at least start to slow the bleeding here. Yeah. Uh, now, but we, we can't just, this is also an opportunity for us to radically remake the, the criminal justice system. Like here we are seeing, like in this moment we're seeing pe- tons of people say, yeah, actually this is a pretty crazy system that we have here. This doesn't really make sense. This isn't making us any safer. If anything, it's making us less safe. So what we're trying to do is not just address the immediate issue, which those reprieves can only be granted by the government. So it's a, it's a rare case where the target is super specific and we can really weigh on the state government in Ohio to try to get our demands met. But then we also got to weigh on the legislature to try to pass a budget that an emergency budget that moves millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars away from the prisons into these community rehabilitation programs. And we need to figure out how to make sure those are designed in a way that's accountable um, and takes in and is led by people who know the system and not just people who read about it once and were appointed by a governor. Um, Also reel me in if I'm rambling. No, I just one question to interrupt there. If the governor were to grant the reprieve to specific categories of crimes, is that permanent? That means that those people are now out of prison, either into the community or into some other non-prison uh, program. But it's not like he could say, like, all right, everyone is out for the month of May, but everyone needs to come back in June, right? It would mean that your sentence is commuted, whatever, whatever the term is for good. That would be the, I, I would love to see, I can tell you what I and the folks that, that are organizing on this would love to see is a, not only like a, you're going to be out for the term of COVID-19, but also we're going to come up with a more sensible plan for rehabilitating this person because stick them, sticking them in a jail cell does not do much. There's some people who say like jail was the thing that really got helped them get their lives together. Um, and then there's all of the other people who just like it helped contribute to a downward spiral. Um, so we really want to see not, not just to have it be like a gates open thing, but we're, we also want to organize our neighborhoods to start to develop plans together to bring these folks home and reintegrate them into our, excuse me, our families and our communities. Um, now, obviously we want to do that in a way that doesn't jeopardize the safety of 
people who might be endangered by people who would be coming out. I mean, there are some people whose loved ones are a direct danger to them in the sense that they might be, they might have been getting abused by this person. So we have to make sure that any process involves a close look at also the relationships that people are coming home to. Um, so it's going to be tricky. It's, it's going to be really tricky to get it right. Um, to me, I feel like we have, we're like right on this razor's edge where we could teeter towards one side, which is, um, really coming together and, well, I'll say the bad first. The bad side is a massacre. The, the worst case scenario is what I think a lot of the um, people in, in the administration wouldn't call a bad scenario, which is we have a whole lot less of those people who are in those prisons alive as of December 2020. Um, I mean, if we... The, the death rates within the prisons I would of America are probably going to hit the highest in the world. Um, and it, it makes sense. These are expendable people for the U.S. social structure. They're not expendable for us. They're not expendable for the loved ones who are back home. They're not expendable for their kids or their families or their friends. But yeah, they're expendable for the people who are currently running the system. And so we have to, that, that's something that we have to grapple with because that informs our tactics because just appealing to the moral sense of the people who designed and supported the system probably ain't going to work. So our, our focus is really more, the governor is the person who can grant us what we want, but our target is the people and the public. We want to move millions of people across Ohio and across the country to support a vision to start to restructure the way that we deal with harm uh, in our communities and really take a good look at the system that we've been using and figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, so I think that that those are the two op- two ways we can go: massacre, and we're already on the verge the verge of that, or real good look at ourselves and start to repair the harm that's been done here and come up with a better system. So I want to make sure that we go with the the second <laughs> the second option. And um, but your question: How we get there? And and do you, are there any other states or, or countries that you look at and um, either that before COVID you thought had a, a particularly progressive and enlightened um, way of dealing with, uh, with harm in communities or anyone who's dealt with COVID particularly well, uh, you know, who's like managed to handle it appropriately in their prisons? That's been less of my area of focus, um, but I, I would be. I think that would be a really interesting follow-up story of like where who's doing stuff well. Everyone always talks about Portugal. I, I think it's less useful to point to other countries right now, and we. I really want to try to get us an example within America that we can use because we have such a particular 
like type of state here. Um, but I mean, the places, the other places that we're really looking to for inspiration in terms of the way that they're fighting, Florida is a big one for us because the dream defenders down in Florida and the coalition that has come together there is so inspiring and is doing so much cool stuff. I mean, they passed this, um, initiative that returned voting rights to all of these people who had their voting rights stripped from them because they had felonies. So Florida is doing some great organizing right now. Jackson, Mississippi is doing some good organizing. Um, there's always good shit coming out of Oakland. Um, what is, what is that organizing look like right now? You mentioned the, the car rally, but then you said you're looking to do things that might be more extreme to kind of put more pressure what is yeah. that? What does that look like without you know doing what the anti-lockdown people are doing, which is running around without masks on? Right, exactly. So we got to get. I think this is a great moment because it's making our side get so much more creative about what we do. I feel like we always default to okay, something bad happened, let's have a protest. Um, now we're the this whole quarantine is kind of forcing us to take a more strategic approach and um, get creative with our tactics. One of the main things that I think is making our work effective right now, though, is that everyone is attacking it from different... We're attacking it from many different angles. So, you know, I'm more on the kind of direct action side, but I also work in very close coordination with the people who are writing policy, with the folks at the ACLU who are preparing to sue the Ohio Department of Corrections... Um, with media out, like friendly friendly media groups, with think tanks, with um, more allied departments of health. The thing that is that I think is different about this moment from other moments is that it feels like we've been able to build coalitions faster than we ever have before, and around a more radical set of demands. That radical meaning we get at the root and change it. Um, and make make it so not, nothing like this can ever happen again. Um, so I think that the thing that has really been powerful in this moment is, A, the coordination between um, the different strategies. So, so we're not saying like, oh, we should be doing this instead of this. It's kind of like everybody do the thing you're good at now. Because <laughs> it's like we got to throw everything at the wall, see what sticks see what works, try out some new stuff. Um, And we're learning a lot. I mean, Ohio's an amazing laboratory for how to to change things, Um, partially because, uh, well, we can get into that another. So the first point is we're, we're coordinating together more closely and communicating well and starting to build alliances also with the people who are working on the immigration justice front, um, and the youth justice front. So like, you know, our five demands try to encompass each of those communities where it's like freeze ice um, activity during COVID-19 entirely, meaning don't no more immigration and customs enforcement um, deportations because that's just putting more people in contact with each other. It's like that, that can wait. <laughs> um, or, and also shouldn't happen after this is done. We got to get the kids out of there. We had our, we have, I believe we had our first case of a kid dying in prison um, due to COVID-19 this past week. We've got to get these community programs funded. 
we got to get these folks out and we got to make sure that the people who are left on the inside, the guards and the, um, the higher security prisoners have the things that they need to be able to stay safe. So, and that's, and that's only our demands on the prison, uh, on the criminal justice front. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other coalitions coming together around housing. Ohio's, Ohio's the place to watch, man. Ohio is the place to watch. Um, so that's the coordination is the first thing in the diversity of tactics. The second thing that has been really, that has made this moment different is that the leadership is coming from people who are the most directly impacted by this stuff. And I think that that has been like jet fuel because, you know, the team that I talk with on, on a regular basis are people who have loved ones in prison currently who were out of, who got out of prison a couple weeks ago, who, um, you know, might've gotten out a year ago, but still have a lot of contacts inside mothers of, of prisoners, daughters of prisoners, sons of prisoners, loved ones in general, um, friends of prisoners, friends of people in prison are leading, which is amazing. Um, and their strategic savvy is better than these progressive consultants that, that get flown in sometimes in the past. Um, like they, when I'm on strategy calls with them, because they have a different angle of it that, you know, a white dude with a college degree who got a job at the ACLU simply cannot have, um, unless you've had loved ones in the, in the prison system. Um, they just see a, a more rounded part, a, a more rounded view of what this beast is that we're really fighting. And so I think their strategic leadership has been crucial. And so, you know, that is that to me um, should be a call for folks in the nonprofit sphere around here to start to get out of the way and make sure that the people who are at the front of the, the battlefield have all the support that they need and space to come up with a strategy that they think is going to work because the stuff that, I, that we've been doing for a long time has not worked. So um, this new leadership, this, this leadership from people who are newly energized by this moment because their loved ones are in such peril, that's been a game changer. Um, I think also we're getting creative and we're recentering narrative and we're really centering, you know, getting those videotapes from the inside out. Um, those interviews with people uh, who are seeing their cellmates dying in front of them. Um, getting those out to the public, I think, is one of the most crucial pieces of this because it's the public's heart that we want to move. So, Because we need an army of people who are working on restructuring this criminal justice system if we're actually going to do it. It's not going to come from DeWine. DeWine can grant us that reprieve, but he is not the savior. None of us. That's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is a whole bunch of people who do not want to see this system rise again. Um, so coordination, diversity of tac tactics, um, leadership from those who know the, know the problem the best, um, centering narratives, and what 
is actually going on, targeting the public, not just targeting the politicians, target the public and give them ways to get involved. Um, we have There's a lot of these uh, letter writing campaigns that I think are really powerful ways to activate people who might not have loved ones in the prison. Um, my, my friend Kenza actually organized this amazing Eid letter writing campaign where they wrote, because a lot of prisoners convert to Islam. Um, Islam has a lot of really good shit to say about prison <laughs> and the life of a prisoner. Um, and they, so they have their, they mobilize other Muslims who are on the outside to write letters for Eid to prisoners who are on the inside, um, who are, who might be like fasting alone right now away from their families. Um, and obviously that gives a huge boost to the people on the inside and, and starts up new communication, but it also activates those people who have that experience of sitting down and writing a letter and thinking about that person the whole time and being like, damn, this person has something in common with me. We celebrate the same holiday. Um, and so I think that kind of stuff is really powerful. Like we got to pull out all the stops right now. So, you know, one thing that we're talking about do Oh, so, but your question about how do we do it without, um, in the time of social distancing, um, we did this honk action. We've done a bunch of these honk actions. The first one had like five cars. The second one had like 70 cars that were, the first one was out in Columbia, Columbiana County. Um, our friends at the river Valley organizing collaborative who do some amazing work in Appalachian communities. Um, they did, they organized one at the Columbiana County jail. You can see the videos on that one. Um, and then we kind of followed their lead and did something similar in Franklin County, which is the capital of Ohio, where the capital of Ohio is. So we had like 70 cars circling around the state house with like names of loved ones who were inside and messages to the governor um, and had a die, a socially distant die in um, around it. But um, so things like that are, are great because like, everyone's used to seeing protests They're not used to seeing 70 cars going in a circle around the state house honking with these banners. They're not used to seeing, Oh, what the nurses did was amazing. They did this thing where they put the shoes of healthcare workers who had died outside that, that kind of stuff. This is the time for artists to really come alive and people who make art to really like get on the front lines um, cause that's been the most interesting stuff that I've seen is like really creative story driven art, music, like making that kind of stuff. Um, especially like one of my friends is working on a mixed on like helping produce a mixtape that, um, with with one of the husbands of one of the main organizers and he is in Marion Correctional. So, you know, you'll that'll be dropping soon. Um we're doing mm-hmm. all it, it do as it, like we're doing as much as we can and seeing what works. And so far I think we're getting a good sense of what works. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah it's I, we're finding I, I think that the the social distance thing we're trying to get like several 
we're trying to get a big, big, big rally for down the road when this is all, when we can like come out. Like, I think that there's ample room for a million person March after this. Um, and you know, imagine that happening countrywide. That's the kind of scale that we want to be trying to get to. Yeah. Because we are not, we're just not going to go back. We cannot go back to, to this kind of system. And I think people are in alignment around right now, which is really exciting. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, talking a lot. We'd love to hear more questions and thoughts from you guys. Well, I, I, I was just gonna, you know, wrap things up with the, you know, we've we've on the podcast we've talked to a lot of people who have been artists and have talked about how this has given them a opportunity to connect with other artists in a different way. This is you know turned the internet into a place for good instead of a place for bad. And you know, talking to you what you describe is absolutely horrifying, right? What's what is happening right now, but also like the fact that this is not surprising. This should not be surprising to people, but it's, it's heartening for Matt and I to hear that people were thinking about this before and that hopefully this can galvanize more support and that every person who's released, every person who shows up to a protest, these are good things. And that there are, there are horrible things that are happening, but you you can't just throw up your hands in a situation like this because people would have just given up years and years ago. So, you Indeed. know, we, we're really thankful to hear from you and thankful for all the work that you're doing. And, um, you know, we, we wish you all the best and we wish you success okay. for, for you and all the people you care about and all the people you talk to and their loved ones as well. Thank you, Absolutely. Kevin. And, and my, my last thing that I would say as advice to your, to your listeners, like do the thing that you love doing and do it in service of liberating the people. Cause we might, who knows how much time we got left on this earth. Like now's the time to start doing that thing that you have always wanted to do and like putting it into service for the people. Cause now's the time. And I would like, I would say if anyone wants to do that, a great place to do that is a state called Ohio. We'll make sure that you're covered. We'll figure out some housing for you. We know how to have fun out here. Um, mutual aid efforts have also been huge out here. Um, but that can be a podcast for an, that, that in itself could be a whole podcast, but, um, I love what y'all are doing. would love to connect more around this. Let me know if you, um, if you want to chat another time. We Appreciate will you. definitely, we will definitely take you up on that, Absolutely. Kevin. Thank yeah, you, I'm Kevin. Always, all I do is shoot the shit all day with people, so this is great. <laughs> hey, from your back porch to our. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, excited to see y'all after the uh, on the other side of the pandemic. So. Same here. Back Talk back. to you soon. Thanks, Thanks so much, Kevin. Right, bye bye. Bye. So, so you know, Adam, I was thinking there's a we. Uh, there's a ton we could dig into there, but one little uh, thing stood out to me. We've talked a lot about car culture on this podcast. And if there's one thing that I will say cars are good for, it is protesting 
at the state capital of Ohio, the injustices of uh, of our prison system. I will, I will allow cars this one pass. But yeah, I mean, the I'm so thankful that we have such empathetic people who can work to tell stories, right? Their own story or other people's stories, and can try to explain how we have put ourselves in this position, but not just to despair about it, right? I think Mm -hmm. what's so valuable is to say, we can get out of this, we know how, let us try to explain it, show you, and bring you along. Absolutely. I can't agree more. This has been Corona Pod. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay healthy. Corona Pod is brought to you by Momo the Cat. Follow her at Momo underscore is underscore a underscore cat. And we'll be back on Wednesday, moving to our new semi-weekly schedule, which I incorrectly said was bi-weekly in our last episode. But semi-weekly, we will see you on Wednesday. Until next time, stay healthy.